Welcome to It's All About the Questions, where learning to ask the right questions can help you achieve lifelong success. Now, here to help you ask all the right questions is award-winning author, international speaker, and business strategist, Laura Stewart. Good morning, afternoon, and evening, everyone. It is so great to be here with you all, everyone around the world listening to the show, both live and on podcast. This is my favorite day of the week, as you know, and I have another amazing guest for you today who I am so glad I was able to get her to be on the show because she talks about a topic that I know I need right now. And a lot of you out there from your emails, from your texts, from your social media posts to me are saying you need as well. So I'm grateful that Ann Grady is able to be here today. She is a nationally recognized speaker, author, and consultant. But what Ann talks about, what she is all about, is about resiliency. The opening line on the back cover of her uh, one of her books says, What would you do if the person who attacked you, who said he wanted you dead and left you on the floor bleeding, was your very own child? I can't even imagine what that's like, but what that has done for Anne is her latest book of 52 Strategies for Life, Love, and Work, Transforming Your Life One Week at a Time, is now my bedside reading. It sits by my bed every night, Anne. And I just keep looking at it and reading chapter after chapter because it's really helping me deal with taking care of my mom and all the other things that are happening in my life. Well, thank you so much for having me, Laura. It's a pleasure to be on the show. I'm a huge fan. Well, thank you so much. You know, feelings mutual, right? <laughs> mutual. Well, it, it really has evolved into a survival toolkit for me. So I'm glad it, it's helping you. It, it really was a way for me to break down things that have helped me not only survive but thrive over the past 13 years. And so it's bite-sized chunks of reading because um, we're distracted and don't have a whole lot of time. Yeah, and I know you reference in here one of my other favorite books written by, uh, co-written by a dear friend of mine, The Slight Edge, and it was co-written by my friend John David Mann. What, Absolutely. What is it about The Slight Edge, about subtlety of strategy that you have found is so effective? Well, if you've ever set a New Year's resolution, you know, I think most of us at the end of December, I'm going to eat better, I'll drink less, I'll be a better friend, I'll, you know, go to the gym. And by the middle of January, you have a cheeseburger in one hand, a beer in the other. You went to the gym, that hurt. I'm not doing that again. (laughs) And it's easy to slip back into old habits because that's the way our brain has wired. So I, what I love so much about the idea of the slight edge is that subtle shifts in behavior over a long period of time equal larger change than one big change tried to make it, you know, trying to make one large change at once. It's easy to slip back to old habits. So if you can habitually reshape habits into small, subtle shifts in behavior, thought processes, and, and everything else, then you can really change your life uh, and the trajectory of your life. Why do you think it is, then, that most of us want the big change? Well, let's face it. We're a culture of immediate gratification. You know, we want what we want when we want it. I want to be skinny, so let's take a pill and make that happen in 24 hours. I should exercise or work hard at it. Uh, I want to be courageous and resilient, so I should be able to just make one change in my life to make that happen. And I really wish it were that easy. It would it would certainly make things a lot less challenging, but it, it doesn't work, and we know it doesn't work. So you want to be healthy, you have to get there the right way, and you want to be resilient, you have to get there the right way as well. And small, subtle steps seem to be much more effective than making one large change at a time. 
does the subtle step make it easier to have the willpower to do it is or not? Is there any difference in that? Well, sure. I mean, and you think about our brain, it's fascinating. And I'm not a neurologist, but with my son's illness, I've certainly studied it over the past decade. And what we know about the brain is that it only has so much energy in any given day, right? You can only do so much. And so once you've used that willpower, it's done. And it's way easier to say, I'll put on my shoes and walk to the mailbox or read one chapter or make one small decision than reshape my entire life when I'm already exhausted and overwhelmed. So I think that, yes, willpower, it's confused as as willpower, but really it's energy. It's the energy to make the right choices, and your brain gets tired after making those decisions choices. That's why it's easier to revert to old habits late at night when you're exhausted because you've used a lot of that mental energy throughout the day already. Well, you know, looking at it as it's energy and not willpower feels very freeing to me because I often go, I, I should be able to just stick to this. Why, why can't I? Exactly. And that's, that, I think that happens to all of us, me included. And it's easy to start beating yourself up, which is another trap that we fall into and creates this spiral that doesn't go anywhere healthy. Um, But if you understand that it really is energy, that's why I try to exercise first thing in the morning before I've had a chance to exhaust my brain because it not only recharges me, but it also requires energy to do it when it's not the thing I really want to go do. So oftentimes these are things we don't want to do, even though we think we want to do them? Yeah, and I hear people say, like, I don't feel inspired to go do that. Well, I don't know anybody who feels inspired to go work really, really hard when it doesn't feel good, when, you know, it's physically difficult. I don't know anybody that looks forward to, well, I I take that back. There are some people who absolutely love rigorous exercise. I'm not one of those people. Me either. (laughs) (laughs) I wish I were, but but I'm not. So it's not... If you wait to be inspired, you end up waiting, and then you you end up being a victim to the circumstance rather than responsible for it. So don't wait to be inspired. Just make the first decision, this first small, slight edge step, and then the next one, and the next one. And that's where change comes from. I was working with a client this weekend because she's been traveling a lot, so sometimes I'll do weekend um, sessions with my clients, and she used a phrase that I thought totally fits with what we were just talking about. She said, you know, I just have to put on the adult pants sometimes. Why can't I just do the adult thing? Mm-hmm. Right. These are adult things that need to happen, like taking, you know, taking my vitamins, eating properly, you know, drinking my water, brushing my teeth, whatever those might be. Those are the adult tasks and they should be part of the routine. But she's struggling in some cases with some of them, right? Because there's so many other things going on and she realized that she's starting to look at the things that should just be part of your everyday life um, as an adult. You shouldn't need to remind yourself. She's having to remind herself. So how would you respond to her about that to help her get that change of thought perhaps or to help her begin to step into that a little more comfortably? Well, I would say get rid of the shouldas. You know, I, I think we should ourselves to death. We should be thinking one way or we should be behaving another way. And there's no um, guide map. There's no 
tool that says this is how adults are supposed to behave. You know, a habit is anything that you've done out of discipline enough times that it becomes automatic, and it can become a thought, it can be a behavior, but our brain is extremely complex, and we're, we're learning, we've learned more about the brain in the last year than we have in human history, but there is still so much we don't know. Um, but we do know that you can make subtle habits simply by the frequency of repeating a new behavior. So the more you engage in it, the more those neurotransmitters get solidified. So they say what fires together, wires together. The more times you do it, the more habituated it becomes. But between now and then, don't beat yourself up for not feeling like it or remembering it as a habit because we're human. I like the way you shifted that, right? It's definitely the shoulds. And maybe what we think of as adult behavior that should be habits aren't what's serving us anymore. Yeah, I shouldn't have wanted to, like, let out a scream this morning after I put my 13-year-old on a bus. But I spent an hour being, you know, cussed at and yelled at and and everything else in between. So I, I had a mini tantrum when he left. I was so relieved to have some breathing room. I shouldn't have acted like that. But it is what it is. We are who we are. So rather than beat ourselves up for what we do, it's figure out how we can cope with it and use it as a lesson moving forward. And, and I know we're going to talk a little bit more about your son and things that happened, which got you to where you are today. But I don't know. Have you heard of the term primal scream therapy? I think you had that when you got your son on the bus. So that's a good thing. I had not heard of it, but I like it, and yeah. I'm going to adopt it from now on. Yeah, do some research on primal scream therapy. It is actually pretty amazing work that awesome. sometimes from your root, you just need to let out this really deep scream, which releases all the tension in the body and, and resets your neurotransmitters. Uh, oh, very cool. Well, I, I can't wait to read more about it because it's something that I think I can do pretty well. I, I think you've been doing it great all along, <laughs> <laughs> and I've done it myself in the car with the music turned up. Yep. You know, because people think I'm singing along to the song instead of that. I'm just screaming out there into the ether. All right. Well, we're going to go into a commercial break right now. We are here with Anne Grady, author of 52 Strategies for Life, Love, and Work, Transforming Your Life One Week at a Time, and much, much more than that. We'll be right back. And before the news break, before the commercial break, we talked about the primal scream and what you did before your son got on the, the bus. And I love this quote from your bookmark it says happiness is not a destination it is a choice you make one moment at a time life will happen and adversity may knock you down choose to stand up choose to be strong and choose to keep smiling and i guess based on what you just said you know you can choose to keep smiling but there are moments when it's okay to just scream well and that's why I said it's a moment-by-moment choice. You know, happiness is not a constant state, and I hear people all the time saying, I just want to be happy. Well, there are moments when you're happy. You just have to stop and acknowledge them and pay attention to them. It's really the key. We all have moments where we're stressed out and we're tired and we struggle, and life is just hard. So it's about focusing on the moments that do bring you joy, that finding things that bring you gratitude and 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 smiles and and really relishing in those. You know, if we have a day where Evan's got an hour of great behavior, I, it's easy just to take that for granted. It's, it's more difficult to stop and acknowledge it and really appreciate the fact that you're having a great moment. And that's what I have found really makes happiness. 
Now, if you're willing to just share a little bit about the story, because I'm sure people are really starting to wonder at this point, what's wrong with Evan? Why is he this way? And you share about it in your book so, so eloquently and so beautifully. But I can imagine getting there was not an easy process. Well, and we're not there yet, you know, so we're still, Evan is severely mentally ill. Uh, He first tried to kill me when he was three years old. And People hear that and they immediately don't believe it, but I can assure you that it's true. Um, and, you know, he's been given a handful of diagnoses, but basically he's extremely oppositional, defiant, impulsive. You say up, he says down. You say right, he says left. You say take a bath, he says I'm going to kill you. And he means it. So it has been a journey, and unfortunately it's not one where there's a magic solution. It's really an ongoing journey where I'm learning as I go every single day. Well, that to me is what courage is all about. And I, I can't even imagine with a child in your in your home what that is like for you. But to me, that is all about courage. And what do you say to my listeners who, you know, maybe going through similar things or things not quite as intense about courage and that every day, you know, it's it's a new day. So my new book that will be coming out is called Strong Enough, Choosing Courage, Resilience, and Triumph. And I, I really picked the subtitle carefully. It's Choosing Courage. I used to think that courage and resilience were innate genetic traits, like skinny thighs. But what I've come to appreciate is that they're actually skills. They're behaviors. They're things that you can cultivate. And so people tell me all the time, you're so brave. And I can tell you that I don't feel brave in those moments where I'm clinging to my sanity. I think courage is really about being uncomfortable and doing it anyway. It's about being afraid, but embracing that and knowing that you can't get to the place where you want to be if you don't go through the struggle first. Strength comes from struggle. Is so if strength comes from struggle, then courage can be a learned behavior? Absolutely. You know, I, there, there's a story about the way lobsters grow, and I don't know if you've heard this, Laura, but it fascinates me. When, when a lobster grows, its shell doesn't grow with it. It actually becomes really tight and constricting and uncomfortable. So when the lobster's ready to grow, it actually has to shed its shell become vulnerable it scurries under a rock and hangs out while it grows a new shell and it repeats this process this whole life and i think we're like that if we want to grow we have to be vulnerable so it could be the courage to have a conversation with your boss it could be the courage to tell a friend they have toilet paper in their skirt it could be (laughs) you know it could be courage to go to work when you just want to curl up in a ball because you don't feel great so Courage takes many different shapes and, and sizes, but I think it it means feeling the discomfort and doing it anyway. Choosing to let that be a lesson rather than being a victim. Is that one of the common traits of somebody that you would consider resilience is doing it anyway? Well, resilience is really the ability to bounce back after you've been knocked down. And courage, in my mind, is is really standing up and fighting for what it is you believe in or persevering in the face of difficulty. Resilience is once you get knocked down, how are you supposed to get back up? And 
it's always funny because when I talk about my story, if I'm doing a, a speaking event or a conference, and I, I happened to be sharing my story in Philadelphia recently, and this guy came up to me after the talk, and he said, man, I thought my life was crappy. How do you keep getting back up? And I didn't know if I should take it as an insult or a compliment, um, but it got me thinking, you know, how do any of us get back up? And there, for the first time, is so much research on things that you can deliberately do to become more resilient in the face of the adversity that life throws at you. Well, one of the things that you did for resiliency after that guy said it, said, you know, I thought my life was crappy, was you chose not to smack him or walk away. <laughs> well, you know, if you can't have a sense of humor, then you'll crumble under the weight of everything that life throws at you. And I have found humor to be a really healing, cathartic um, strategy for me. And I, and I, I deliberately choose it. I listen to the comedy channel on Sirius. I go see comedians. I find ways to laugh because it is so healing. Yeah, we, we tend to forget about the power of, of laughter even at the worst moments of our life, right? Um, somebody, a friend falls, right? What's the first thing most of us do? We we laugh. It might be a little nervous laughter, and then all of a sudden our next reaction is, oh, we should check and see if they're okay. It's funny you mentioned that because, and I don't, I don't know if you were going to ask me this later in the show, so if I'm jumping ahead, forgive me, but... You know, during Evan's second hospitalization, the first one was two months, and we lived at the Ronald McDonald House. The second one was two months again. And on the second one, I was diagnosed with a tumor in my face and ultimately had surgery and facial paralysis. So I had an eye patch on, and my husband and I went to Vegas for a weekend before I got eye surgery and started radiation. And we were just kind of joking about everything that I had been through. And as I was telling him this, I'm like, I feel so much better. And then I fell down the stairs and I broke my foot in four places. And I remember sitting on the ground in Las Vegas, hysterically laughing and crying all at the same time. <laughs> and it's one of those where you just don't know what else to do. It, it's sort of like, okay, I'm there. I'm at the bottom. Let's just laugh about this and pick ourselves up. Right. And it doesn't mean it's the last time you cry about it either. I had plenty of pity parties. I think we judge ourselves by other people's Facebook pages and we look at their perfect family and, you know, how wonderful they're doing. And it's easy to start questioning our life and, and how, you know, how am I experiencing so much challenge when everybody else seems to be doing great? But what you don't see is that we're all vulnerable and that we're all dealing with something. And we're all doing the best we can. You know, I'm so glad you said that because I know from what my listeners reach out to me and talk about that they think that their stuff is so small compared to other people's situations and circumstances and that they have no right to complain about what's going on in their life. And that's not true. Everybody has their stuff. And I'm so glad you brought that up. It's actually called comparative suffering. When we think, well, it, you know, I shouldn't feel bad because this person has so much worse on their plate. We all struggle at 100%, you know, and, and struggle is very personal. And what we're dealing with is very real to us. So it really doesn't matter what anybody else is dealing with. If you've got a challenge in your life, it's very real. 
and it's very present to you at that moment and you shouldn't compare it to anybody else's it's yours in that moment so what do you need to do next to take care of it right and that's the overwhelming thing what do i do next and what we're going to do next is go into the news break so we'll be right back with more from ann grady on it's all about the question and before the news break we were talking about what you called comparative suffering and that people shouldn't and I hate using the word shouldn't, but in this case, I think it's important for people not to understand that it's okay not to compare yourself in those situations. Is That's what you were saying, right? Not only is it okay, I, I would suggest never comparing what you're going through to what somebody else is going through. There, it, it doesn't serve a purpose. And whatever you're going through, it's all relative. And courage is relative. It I know some people who are willing to travel all around the world by themselves with just a backpack and a phone, but they won't fall in love because they're afraid of being hurt. You know, I know other people who are struggling to find a place to live and enough to eat, and someone else might be frustrated that their kids are struggling, and neither situation is better or worse. It just is. Okay, so you've got a situation where all of a sudden you don't feel like you can get up anymore. You're at that bottom of the stairs, you've fallen, and you know it doesn't matter if you've broken your ankle, your leg, whatever it may be, you're just at that bottom and you're not sure how you can stand back up. What would you say to that person, one thing that they could begin doing to help themselves bounce back you know there's two parts to that answer i'll give you the textbook answer and then i'll give you my answer okay the the textbook answer is that you have two choices if there are things in your life that you're not happy about you have only two choices you can one change the way you're thinking and behaving to get a different result or two You can settle for the result you're getting based on how you're thinking and behaving. It doesn't work any other way. And I think it's easy to blame our environment and a lot of external circumstances, but at the end of the day, we only control us. That's the textbook answer. My answer would be find something to be grateful for while you're sitting on your butt at the bottom of the stairs because when I was at my lowest, I realized that when I focused on finding even the smallest thing to be grateful for, like I didn't break both legs, that I started finding more of those things. And it really shifted my mood. And I was so curious about it that I started researching it. And it turns out that gratitude releases dopamine and serotonin. And those are the neurotransmitters that antidepressants like Wellbutrin and Prozac trigger. So there are neurological benefits to focusing on gratitude. And that, for me, was absolutely mission critical. You know, it just reminded me of a story when um, my first Boston Terrier passed away. And I was sitting at home hysterically crying because this was my son. I had had him for 10 years. It was my first life that I was ever responsible for as an adult I had had a dog when I was younger, but, you know, my mom really was the responsible party there. And it was my adult dog. It was went everywhere with me, even to clients, because they just love this dog. 
And then he died from pancreatic cancer. And I'm sitting in my house and people were coming by and somebody broke this elephant table that I had. The The trunk of the elephant broke off. And all of a sudden the trunk of this elephant is laying on the floor and this other person is just mortified that they did this and I just burst out laughing. <laughs> and I realized that there was so much tension inside my body from everything that had just happened that when the trunk of the elephant broke, it broke the tension. And I was able to think again about what's my next step to enter life. So it's interesting that you said that for a couple of reasons. First, I think it's important to allow yourself to grieve. So you didn't say, well, it's just a dog. I shouldn't be sad. You said this is a being that I have loved dearly, and I'm going to give myself permission to grieve. And I think part of the challenge that we face is we don't give ourselves that permission. Whatever we're dealing with, we don't give ourselves permission to grieve and let ourselves go through that process. But the other thing that you said um, was that the tension was so high that the, the trunk falling off just kind of broke that tension. And for me, I've struggled with depression my entire adult life. I was diagnosed with clinical depression at 19. And I had lots of doctors and therapists and psychiatrists tell me how important exercise was. And I thought, yeah, well, I'm sure it is, but I don't feel up to exercising. I'm tired. And what I found was when we were at our worst with Evan, I started swimming because it was the only way I could clear my head. When I was underwater, I couldn't think of anything else other than what I was doing. And after I started doing that, I could not believe the difference. I was able to then look up and go, okay, what do I do next? Because I had broken through all of the, the stress and, and, and the cortisol and all of the gunk in your brain that you get when you become overwhelmed. And it really helped me focus. Okay. So the elephant, when the guy, when Bob was holding the tusk of the elephant in his hand, just like staring at it, like, oh my God, what did I just do? That's what was so funny for me because I got the stillness in my brain and all I saw was this elephant tusk and I could see a moment where there was a possibility of, okay, what's the next thing? Swimming did that for you. Swimming does that for me still. It's that feeling you get when you see things clear. You know, I think part of the challenge when we're facing a difficulty in our life is that it can feel all-consuming and you feel like you're in quicksand and it's very hard to get that clear moment or that moment of clarity where you go, okay, I can focus on what to do next. So for me, I've had to create those moments because without them, you would drown. So for me, swimming does that. And it does not mean I feel inspired and excited about going to swim. It's something I still have to use energy or willpower or whatever you want to call it to do it. But I know that the impact is so helpful. I'd like us to use the word energy, maybe some of my other listeners like willpower, but energy doesn't, to me, have that same connotation of you can make it happen, right? 
energy to me when we're talking about willpower around that concept means I'm going to apportion some energy to do that. So throughout my day, I know how much energy I have. This is one of the things I want to put energy towards. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And, you know, I do a lot of productivity training and I I tell people, do the thing you dread the most first because the weight of getting that done frees you up to focus on other things. And you also have the most mental energy at the beginning of the day. So don't wait until it's four o'clock and you're exhausted to have that difficult conversation or write the proposal or send the email. Do it when you're fresh and you have all of the, you know, the energy reserves that you need to be able to think clearly. So you actually have to, from what I hear you saying, you have to schedule and plan your how you're going to get through your day. So how you're going to use your resiliency, your courage, as much as you can, because things are going to happen, they're going to come up. But if you know you need to do these X things, plan them in the beginning of your day. Right. Well, I have an example. So today we have an appointment with Evan's therapist. And I have been dreading this appointment because it every time we have one, Evan throws a huge fit. And he's now 13, so his tantrums are much more extreme. And I know that at 4 o'clock this afternoon, I'm going to have to be mentally prepared to manage that. So I need to do what I can to plan my day proactively so that I'm not reacting to that all afternoon. Because when we react, we relinquish control. And we're allowing external circumstances and people to dictate our response. Okay. So how do you plan for the unplannable in terms of the energy day? Is it over time your resiliency muscle just gets stronger? Well, it's interesting because it is like a muscle. And the more you build it and strengthen it, the stronger it becomes. For me, I knew that today was coming, so I made sure I got plenty of sleep. I will make sure that I'll exercise so I get some of the the stress and the cortisol out of my brain so that it can be open for the good stuff. But it's also about figuring out what you can do proactively to make yourself more, oh, what's the stuff that's on the frying pans that make it not stick. Teflon. 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 Yeah. It's building that. So what can you do to take care of yourself so that when you know you're going to have a difficult situation, you can be as prepared as possible. So what can I do to take care of myself so that when I know stuff is going to fall from the fan, I have enough strength and I have enough resilience to manage it. Okay. What are a couple of things that people can do to begin building that muscle? It doesn't have to be anything major is what I'm hearing from you. It could be small steps. Absolutely. In fact, it should be. Um, One of my favorite Texas singer-songwriters is Ray Wiley Hubbard. And he has a quote in one of his lyrics. And he says, the days that I keep my gratitude higher than my expectations well, I have really good days. And both of those things I have found to be incredibly helpful for building resilience. The first being expectations. The expectations that we have of ourselves and the expectations that we have of others. So we're 
expected to fulfill so many roles and responsibilities, and we try to do it flawlessly. And we have to give ourselves permission to be human. So one is treating yourself like you would treat a friend, but also our expectations of others. And I've found that when I'm upset or sad or angry or disappointed, it's usually because my expectations and reality are out of alignment. So expectations are basically, Brene Brown said, they're, they're resentment waiting to happen. Oh, that's a perfect spot to end just before we go into the last break. Say that last sentence one more time. Resentment. Actually, I think it was Anne Lamott that Brene was quoting. Okay. And she said, expectations are resentment waiting to happen. All right. And we'll be back with more from Anne Grady. All right, Anne. So just before the break, you quoted Anne Lamont. And let's just take that a little bit further. Um, do you think that resentment is a way that we prevent ourselves from being resilient? I don't know if I would say it's resentment, but I would definitely say our expectations. Okay. Uh, and, and, and they can be one of the same, but let me give you an example. There's something called the fundamental attribution error, and it refers to our tendency to judge other people according to their behavior, and we assign it to their character. So I see someone run a stop sign, they're a careless person. We judge ourselves according to our intent. So I run a stop sign, oh my gosh, I was distracted, I'm so glad no one got hurt, I hope the cops didn't see. And I think that sometimes we have to be focused on giving people the benefit of the doubt, knowing that we are all doing the best we can. And part of building resilience is being kind to yourself and being kind to the people in your life because your support system is one of the most important resources you have. Yet we tend to treat the people that are closest to us the worst because we know they're going to love us anyway. And so for me, expectation setting, both for myself and with everyone else that I interact with, has been absolutely necessary. And then the gratitude component of that quote from Ray Wiley Hubbard that I mentioned earlier is, is huge as well. Again, I know it seems so simple, but there's always something to find to be grateful for. It could be that you have the hearing to hear this interview or a place to play the radio, but it's noticing those things because we find what we look for. Yeah, it's so true. We do find what we look for. You could, it, there's a great parable story called Acre of Diamonds. Are you familiar with that one? No. And it's just a wonderful parable story where this guy lives on his property and he's got an orchard, and, but he keeps hearing about faraway lands where you can make your millions and it's like there's there's gold just laying on the ground everywhere. So he leaves his home and he sells it and he goes off looking for riches and doesn't find anything. Works really hard but doesn't find anything and comes back and discovers that the guy he sold his house to just went out into the orchards and was trying to plant some new trees and do some things and there were diamonds and jewels just below the surface right in his own backyard. Ah, uh, good story. And it's about looking at what's right there. It's understanding that it might just be below the surface, but if you just look for it right in your own backyard, what can happen mm -hmm. by seeing what's positive in your own backyard? 
Um, your, your new book is coming out, Strong Enough, Choosing Courage, Resilience, and Triumph, and you also have a TED Talk coming up as well, right? Yes, so October 27th in St. Louis, it's the TEDx St. Louis Women, and it'll be uh, streamed to San Francisco TED Women, so I'm very excited about that coming up next month. And is that around courage and resiliency as well? It is. The whole idea is that we are strong enough to manage whatever life throws at us, and it's easy to question that, but I can prove it, so... Think about the worst thing that you've ever gone through. You're still standing. So by nature of the fact that you are still standing, you're resilient. You're strong enough. But that doesn't mean that there are not skills and behaviors that you can learn and habitualize to stay that way. And that's what you're going to be talking about? Absolutely. So the session, the TED Talk is really around how to stay strong enough, and a lot of the things I've shared with you today are are simple strategies that people can use, whether it's taking care of yourself and getting enough sleep, exercise, gratitude, having realistic expectations, supporting yourself with the right people in your life, you know, get rid of the naysayers and the drama starters, and be deliberate about who you allow in. And have a primal scream every once in a while when necessary. That's right. Primal (laughs) scream. Now that I know that therapy exists, I'm going to be doing it a lot more. It it really, it's a real well-known, obviously not well-known to you, but uh, it's a therapy that's been around for, gosh, I'm 53 now, and I don't even remember how old when I first heard about it. But I thought it was really cool. It's an excuse to scream, and it, it... And I'm also, I do energy work as well, so Reiki Master, and I've studied a number of other healing modalities on the quest of healing myself, right, and understanding what to do. And I'll I'll never forget, while people were working on me one day, I just started screaming out loud, and nobody flinched. Nobody in the room flinched. And these are all people that are professional healers. And after it was over, I'm like, I know I was screaming, why was nobody afraid? And they said, that was such deep-rooted, and it needed to come out, and do you notice how different you feel now? Wow. And I did, and then there were a number of people there that were therapists and psychiatrists and stuff as well, and they're like, it's called primal scream therapy. <laughs> well, it, I, it works. <laughs> because all right. I felt way better this morning. <laughs> cool. Now, you have a lot of resources on your website, and I've had people uh, texting out to me and emailing me saying they want to find out how they find out more about you and resources that you have available? Sure. So my website is com, and Anne has an E in it. And I have a blog where I provide tips, strategies, tools to help you manage relationships, resilience, life. Uh, and there's a free chapter of my book on the website. The new one, can, Strong Enough, or the uh, actually, 52 no, Strategies? 52 Strategies is on okay. the site. The new book will be out this um probably late fall, early January. But com has a variety of different resources, and um, my book is on Amazon as well. You know, in your, in your current book that has the free chapter up in your site, 52 Strategies for Life, Love, and Work, Transforming Your Life One Week at a Time, what really, to me, is so powerful about it is in and itself, the way you've set up the book, it's a slight edge. 
because even though you've got 52 strategies and people may read it and go, oh, I have to pick a new strategy each week. Um, it's actually taken me longer to get through the book because there are a couple of things I'm like, I need to work through this one some more. And I gave myself permission to just sort of focus on a strategy for multiple weeks before I considered another one. And I love that because there's no right or wrong way to do it. It's about knowing what you need. So I still go through and read the strategies, even though I'm the one who wrote them, because it's a good reminder. And I think that that's what I was aiming for, a a field guide, so that you can pick it up and you don't have to read an entire book. You can cherry pick a strategy here or there that you think might really help make a profound difference in your life. There's one of your chapters, Strategy 38, Forget the Idea of Balanced. And you say the concept of a balanced life is a word I'm not going to say on the air, but it's basically BS. Um, And I think that's so important for not only women, but men to understand that you're never going to stay right in complete balance. Yeah, and I don't think that's the goal. So people ask me, how do I balance work and home and kids and friends? And my suggestion is to pick a handful of priorities that really matter to you and plan ways throughout your week to focus on them. And don't apologize when you're doing it. So it's one thing to say, I want to spend time with my family. It's another thing to go out to a restaurant and have all of the family members sitting on a screen. So you can find small ways to do things that really focus on your priorities, but you have to be deliberate about planning them. All right. You said something that got me thinking because I'm realizing I'm doing this a lot. I caregive for my mom full time and I try to fit the rest of my life in around it, figuring it all out. And you said, don't apologize for doing it. How do you stop yourself from apologizing and letting go that guilt of taking time for yourself? I think it's knowing that it's necessary for you to be the best possible caregiver you can be. So if you're tired and exhausted, you can't take care of your mom the way you probably want to. It's the reason on the plane that they tell you to put your oxygen mask on before you put it on your kids. Because if you're not breathing, you're not much help to them. So if you view it almost as a homework assignment that I have to take care of myself so that I'm able to take care of someone else I love, then you plan things throughout the week, whether it's a massage or a bath or a book, to give yourself the strength and and recharge of your battery that you need in order to be the caregiver you want to be. Your your book, 52 Strategies, has actually helped me do that better. Um, I'm not in as guilt as much as I used to be when I take some time just to read and mom's sitting there. Or read it to mom. <laughs> I probably should. You know, I she might find it really quite fascinating, although she needs the TV on. It's like her visual trigger thing. <laughs> you know, I'm Jewish, so I'm very good at the guilt thing. But... <laughs> At some point, you have to make the choice to be deliberate about what thoughts and opinions about yourself you allow into your head. That's a wonderful last thought, understanding what thoughts you're allowing into your head. Last thought you'd like to share before we close for the day? 
just that this is a journey and you will take one step forward and you'll take two steps back, but don't give up because courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is really digging in when you're uncomfortable and finding ways to navigate through it. And resilience is knowing that no matter what comes your way, you will get back up because you are strong enough. Oh, I love that. I can't wait to read your new book, Strong Enough, Choosing Courage, Resilience, and Triumph, and checking out your TED Talk on October 27th. Thank you so much for having me on the show, Laura. Thank you for being here. And people can reach out to you at, what's your website again? Website is com. I encourage everybody to go get Anne's book, um, pre-sign up for her new book when it comes out. But most of all, just reach out to her. She's got great resources. And remember, everyone, the right questions truly can change your life. So what are you asking today? Have a great day, everyone. You've been listening to It's All About the Questions, starring Laura Stewart. Connect with Laura at itsallaboutthequestions.com and download a free workbook that will help you ask better questions starting today. 